Hey guys, it's Keith Arthur Bolden. I play Dell on Cobra Kai, and you are listening to the Cobra Kai Companion. Woo! That's a badass name for a podcast. Back to another episode of Cobra Kai Companion, and I am Peter. And today's interview is with Keith Arthur Bolden, who played Daryl from season one of Cobra Kai. And speaking with him, he's literally quite the working man, and has been in so many projects in over the last fifteen years. Uh, some of those projects include an episode of The Vampire Diaries, the Goosebump movie with Jack Black. Uh, he played Alvin Pierce in Black Lightning and had other roles on shows like Underground, The Bobby Brown Story, The Haunting of Hill House, and also American Soul, the show about Don Cornelius who developed the Soul Train show. Keith, who's a professor at Spellman, also talks about directing a production of Hands Up, uh, which is a play about the Black Lives Matter movement and police harassment of people of color. He's just a great talker that I just let him go and uh, he was very entertaining and this is our conversation. Hello. Hello, Keith. Peter. Yes. Hi. Yeah, this is Peter. Can you hey. hear me? How are you? Yes. Yes. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Okay. All right. So uh, I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak with you, obviously. But um, I did some research. I found out that you're currently living in Atlanta. Is that correct? That is, that is correct. Been here since 2013. But but you're uh, you're born and raised in L.A. Yeah, you did some good research. Born <laughs> and raised in L.A., uh, specifically Inglewood. Uh, okay. Went to Inglewood High. Yes. Where there were... There were uh, very little arts there, so I, I did not even start acting until I got to college. I didn't even know I could do that. What, what were you uh, into um, when you were growing up in L.A.? I was into being a class clown and making everybody happy. Uh, <laughs> I still had good grades, but uh, I was really, I mean, literally, I, I wanted all the attention in the world and I wanted to entertain, but I had no idea uh, that I could even act. Um, so I became a journalism major, um, uh, because I love movies and I'm like, well, I can be Siskel and Ebert. I can be a film critic. And so that's what I started working towards. And then when I got to Fresno state, my first semester, they had hired their first African-American professor in theater and he was doing his first show and he came to the university one-on-one classes and recruited and I auditioned and I've been acting ever since that was in 1991. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, before we get further into your career, I, I would like to know where did the nickname Buckets come from or Bucket? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I used to tell this story that my when I was younger, my head was bigger than my body. Uh, <laughs> but but I, th- I think there was some trauma because I actually had forgotten the story. I, it, it, the, the nickname came from a friend of mine in high school. His name was Kenyon Wilson. 
uh, we were slap boxing one day, you know, as 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 boys do. Sure, sure. And one one time he hit me in the head. He hurt his hand. I think he might have sprained his wrist. <laughs> and he he said, "You old big bucket head, something, you know." <laughs> and uh, the name stuck. Uh, but the trauma came because that in that slap boxing incident, uh, my eardrum got punctured. <laughs> oh no! So, yeah, yeah. So there was a little bit of pain that came with that name. Hey, okay. I rhymed. Yeah, yeah, it did. Uh, now, do, does anybody still call you Bucket? Or is that that's kind of long forgotten about? Uh, no, no, a few people. But I used to introduce myself as Bucket, Keith Bucket Bolden. And uh, uh, I still answer to it. I just don't introduce myself as that anymore because, you know, I'm a... I'm a grown man, so you know. <laughs> sure, sure. Came walking around, came walking down the street. Hey, bucket, bucket, you, you pay your mortgage today? No, no. Buckets don't pay mortgage. Buckets live at home with mama. You yeah, know what I mean? <laughs> right. No, I understand. Uh, so you you got into journalism. When did you become um, an educator, a, a professor? Uh, graduate school. Uh, went to University of Illinois, and part of my assistantship was teaching. Uh, so I had to teach one class a semester, uh, and uh, I, I wasn't bad at it. Um, I wasn't great. I wasn't bad at it. Um, and but I had this terminal degree now. I had this this MFA, and uh, so where whatever city I lived in, I was always looking for for jobs. So every every year, a lot of the universities and colleges release uh, their jobs in the early spring, and they're looking for the fall. So I would start. Actually, in the fall, in, in preparation for the next year, so I would start applying for jobs, and I would, on average, I would get at least one or two in-person interviews. They fly me out to the college, or the university, and teach classes, and so I, I did that and landed a couple of jobs. One in Pennsylvania, then I, I taught at um, in LA, at Cal State LA, um, but uh, Spelman was the the first tenure track job that I was uh, rewarded <laughs> and and I was rewarded tenure uh, last year so I'm a tenured professor now that's amazing um so that means that we have two members of the all valley committee board here you and or your character of Daryl and Ron are both real life <laughs> professors that's amazing yeah yeah you know man that's it, it, Matt right Matt yeah. is Ron right shout out to Matt Lewis yeah let me tell you something about Matt Lewis, man. <laughs> okay. Matt Lewis, we, we have not seen each other since we shot, but we stay with each, stay in touch with each other on Facebook. And I'll tell you, it was it was a moment on set between Matt and I where we just knew that we were kindred spirits because we found solidarity over the movie Breaking and Breaking Two. Oh wow! <laughs> and, and I tell you, there's not many white guys that I know that can quote break in two. You know what I mean? I don't know many black guys <laughs> who can quote <laughs> break in two. It's one of those niche kind of films, you know, a Golden Globus uh, production in the 80s. Uh, but uh, but we, we've been fast friends ever since, man. We have a lot of people in common, and, you know, it's just, he's a good guy. He is. He is. Uh, now, breaking is that I, I forget, but I feel like Vin Diesel was in one of those type of movies really early on, you know, <laughs> before he got really big and buff and all that. I think maybe that was uh, it. Might have been rapping, maybe with oh, Mario gosh. Van Peebles. I, I could be lying. I don't know, but I think you're right. <laughs> okay, I think, I think you're right. 
So you mentioned that you didn't get into acting until um, about college. Now, one of your earlier credits here, More Than a Woman, when, when did that come around for you in, in your career? Now, is, is that, is, okay, that's the film, right? Yes. Okay. Because I, <laughs> I did a stage play, too. Oh. Uh, with, with a similar title, it was a kind of an urban musical, because uh, I sang. It was it wasn't more than a woman, but it was something like teach a woman right, something crazy like okay. that. But anyway, uh, more than a woman, man, wow. So when I finally decided to move, I moved to New York in '02, but I was commuting back and forth between Pennsylvania. I would go to New York every other weekend because my uh, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, lived there, and um, so I would go and and help her out every other weekend, wash clothes, shopping, stuff like that, and. When I decided to move to New York in 04, my first week in New York, uh, I said, I'm going to learn the city uh, in a way that is productive. So I, I addressed all my headshot envelopes by hand, and I literally, there's maybe 100 of them, I literally walked them to every office and dropped them off. And my thought behind it was, I never know who's going to be coming in or out of the office I may get lucky and I may run into somebody. Um, but also I get to know, know this city in a way that is productive. I didn't run into anybody. Uh, but in that first two weeks, I booked my first actors equity, which is the actors union for stage. I booked my first show for equity and I booked my first, I booked three jobs my first two weeks. And uh, one of which was more than a woman, which I, I mean, I, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was a lead in this independent film, More Than a Woman. Um, it, we shot it, <laughs> and it was a crazy shoot. <clears throat> it came out okay, but I learned a lot shooting that film uh, in terms of um, not even how to be treated on the set, but more of how to treat people and my adaptability. You know, I, I realized that I was really adaptable, um, uh, and kind of in a kind of a chameleon kind of way too. You know, I, I adapt to environments uh, behind camera, but also on camera um, uh, or, or on stage that I'm flexible. You know, um, I'm not so rigid in my choices that if I'm if somebody brings me some stimulus. I'm not going to react to that, or I'm going to be upset because they changed the rhythm of the scene. I realized that this is a strength, and I used to think it was a weakness, but it's actually a strength because a lot of people aren't able to do that. Um, so more than a woman gave me a wonderful gift um, in it being my first film and being a lead in that film, and that I didn't know that I was a lead, the lead in the film. I think I was in all of four or five scenes in that movie. Um, because I think if I had known that I was a lead, I probably, I probably would have had a bigger ego. I may have been harder to work with. So I was humble from the start. And I, I remain that. I remain that. Now, um, as we get into like 2010, you're, you're literally almost just everywhere, really. Um, just scrolling through your credits, Goosebumps, Alvin the Chipmunks. You know, I grew up with the cartoons, like I, I think many people uh, have. Um, yeah. One of the other ones that stuck out to me, I was a big fan of the new edition story. And then they had the, 
you know, the spinoff with the Bobby Brown story, which you were also in, you yeah. had a, a part there. What was that experience like? That was cool, man. My wife got to do that too. We both played doctors at different points in Bobby Brown's life. Um, so I was, I was a doctor who he was dealing with when he was dealing with Bobby Christina and her, her tragic demise. Um, it was a couple of days on set. Um, but it was, it was, uh, uh shot with, uh, people I respect. Uh, and I, I got to meet, I met, I met somebody on set, uh, tell you the world is small. Got to talk to this brother and like, Oh, 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 you're the writer. Okay, you're the writer. And we started talking about college, and he talked about pledging. I said, where'd you pledge? He said, oh, Kappa Psi. But oh, I'm a Kappa too, so we're frat brothers. And I said, what year did you pledge? I pledged in 93. What? I'm 93 too. What number were you online? I'm a three. I'm a three too. So we had all these things in common. He's from Ohio. I'm from L.A. Uh, but, you know, he won the NAACP award for that new edition. He won a few awards for that new edition. Uh, but he's a, he's a good writer, man, and we, we become friends. But, I, you know, I say that to say that everything, I just told my students, if I just had a Zoom class, that everything, every experience that you do, every job that you have, whether small or large, should inform the next gig or experience. You don't isolate them. Don't put them in silos. The fact that I pledged Cap Alpha Psi back in 1993 uh, is still benefiting me almost 30 years later. Um, and, and not a monetary benefit, but just a human connection benefit, which I think um, is far lasting, much more far lasting than a monetary or even a television film credit. Um, there are people that uh, I'm working with today that I planted seeds with 20 years ago and I didn't plant the seed to get a job. I planted the seed for the human connection. Mm. I'm all about human connection, man. And, and cause I, cause I'd rather, honestly, if we're going to work together, I'd rather work with somebody that I know. Uh, and who knows me, who knows my strengths because I've been fired from a job before and it's not fun, but those people didn't know my heart and they didn't know my skill set, and, uh, they didn't see it through to fruition. So they, they decided to bail. And I don't think people who care about people, um, not, well, not, let me not say that. People who care about a person, they wouldn't do that to that person. And you care about a person if you know them. But that firing of that job just led me to so many other things. So everything happens for a reason. That was a long-winded answer. <laughs> No, no, it, it's a fantastic answer. Um, you know, uh, again, with our podcast, you know, we create content that we want to see ourselves. And so when we get these reactions from people that are tuning in, um, it's just rewarding, you know, so, yeah. so we really do enjoy that. Um, you also had a, uh, a role on Black Lightning, which is um, a, yeah. a superhero show on CW. Yeah. What was that like? Yeah. Uh, Alvin, Alvin Pierce, man, um, you know, that was great, too. Um, again, Oz Scott, who is one of the producers on that show, EP on that show, I met, I've been, I mean, Oz Scott is a legend. He directed For Color Girls on Broadway. Um, he directed uh, uh, Richard Pryor and, and Busted Loose. I mean, I've just been a fan of his, of his work for years. And years ago when I lived in L.A., um, he was directing a reading 
of a play by Daniel Beatty at the Geffen Playhouse. And I had done a show at the Geffen and was friends with the theater, so I would support. And uh, I was friends with the writer, Daniel Beatty, and he hooked me up with Oz to audition for him for that, for that production. It was, uh, it, was a, it, was, it was a production. And I, I went to Oz's house to audition for him. I went and did a monologue or two. And that was back in 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, man, to 2018. You're talking about planting a seed almost a decade before for, for, for an experience that turned into a job. And, and, and even, even more connected, the, 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 when, I, when Black Lightning came here, the chair of my department, Aku Kadogo, was one of the original cast members of For Color Girls that he directed on Broadway. So bringing him to campus, Aku and I brought him to campus, so now there's this synergy, there's this connectivity of, of, of these people who, who changed the face of Broadway, and now he's here directing a black superhero television show that is impacting the way we see black folks on television. And he taps me. I auditioned, of course, but he pushed for, I know he pushed for me to play the father of this character. And, you know, the character is already dead. You know, there's no secret. Alvin Pierce is dead. He's seen in he's seen in a few flashbacks in the first season, and in a couple of pictures in the third season. But it's television. You know, uh, it's comic books. You never know what can happen. You know, people get reanimated all the time. You know, fingers crossed. But that was it. Was an amazing experience, not only because of the way I was treated on set and the role, but but the way it came to me. Uh, it just it it further supports the idea of the human connectivity that we need to have in this business and in the in the world really um, going on set and 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 doing that scene is crazy because this was the last episode of that first season, and um the show i don't think it it, it aired yet. I think it might have started airing, <clears throat> but this was a scene with a flashback of, uh, not a flashback. It was a dream sequence that um, that uh, uh, Jefferson Pierce was having with his deceased father, because Jefferson Pierce was ready to call in the chips and just go on, you know, and and be dead. And this this conversation he had with his father that I'm okay. You did the right thing, and what you're doing is the right thing, and so. Everybody around the set was so emotional. And I'm like, why the hell is everybody so emotional? And then I watched the season and I said, oh, that's why they were so emotional. Because oftentimes as a guest star, as a co-star guest star, you don't get all the information that you might think that you would need. They didn't give me all the scripts for the entire season or to let me watch the entire season to know what Alvin Pierce meant to his father. I had to do my own research on that because a lot of times they want to keep the scripts hush hush. Um, so I didn't I didn't know why everybody was so emotional, uh, in, in, including uh, including Jefferson Pierce's character. I mean, we didn't really, we didn't talk before the scene. Uh, we didn't you know run through the lines. I don't think we just kind of went in there. And we did it, and it was this fully engaged, 
fully immersive, emotional thing that we did. And then when you see it play back on the first season and the season finale, and they have that Highway to Heaven plan with the with the uh, uh, the OJ's. Oh man, I, I I wept like a baby when I saw it. Not because of my own work, but just because of the the scenario of this father son and this father telling his son that he's doing the right thing. Yeah, you, you know, there's a lot of range in um, some of your clips that I that I have seen. Uh, there was one that really stuck out. Uh, you talk about emotional scenes. Um, her only choice, where you play a Dr. Lopez, where you have to, mm-hmm. um, you know, have this conversation with a young lady, very emotional. Uh, we, we've seen your comedic take on a character from Cobra Kai, and you were on <laughs> The Haunting of Hill House. So you've done yeah. like a variety of different things. Um, you've played yeah. law enforcement. Um, do you have a, maybe not a preference, but what type of role do you like to play the most? You know, a lesser artist would say the ones that pay, you know. Um, I, I, <laughs> getting paid is nice, man, but I, I, I just like doing the work. I, I really like, sometimes I like auditioning more than I like booking the job because of the pressure of auditioning. And when you book the job, there's not, there's not a lot of pressure or there shouldn't be. I have not booked a lead in a television series yet, so I'm interested to know what that what that journey is to 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 be involved uh and with, with with the life of a script and the development and the arc of a character, uh and to know everyone on the set, uh and, and not to just be the guest coming in for a day. I really want to experience that. Um but, but to answer your question, what's my favorite? You know, I think I'm funny, really. I, I don't, I don't, I don't book a lot of uh, comedic roles uh, because of, I guess, the gravitas that I bring, or simply because I'm a dark-skinned black guy. Uh, it could be that too. But it's interesting to me that most of the comedic roles in film and TV go to stand-up comedians, um, and they they're, they're sought after. But I'd like to add to that uh, trained thespians can be just as funny as stand-up comedians. Um, and uh, and I feel like you can, not to take anything away from these, these brothers and sisters, but that you, you give the writers more variety, more options when you have uh, a seasoned trained actor who, who, who has gone through uh, some type of training. And not to say those people won't get to that point. I'm just talking about you know, compare, compare card to cards, comparing, comparing, um, you know, that, yeah. I don't know if I answered that question properly or not. No, no, you, you did. I feel like I'm taking away, I don't want to take away anything from anybody, you know. No, I understand. Um, I, I kind of uh, brought up the, you know, your role, Dr. Lopez, on her only choice. Uh, to kind of set the scene a little bit, you're, you are informing a young lady who's pregnant um, about cancer treatment, mm-hmm. and she has to make this very difficult choice of whether mm-hmm. to abort the baby and mm-hmm. possibly live or, mm-hmm. you know, save the baby and possibly die and have her husband raise a child on his own. How do you prepare for something like that? Not just for the role, but for the mm-hmm. conversation that you have to tell another human being. Well, uh, uh, ironically enough, um, when did I shoot that? I think I shot that in the summer of 17. 
my mother had passed away the year before that of cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, her, she lost her third battle with cancer. And the guy who booked me in that, I tell you, man, life, human, human connectivity. It's another frat brother. His name is Brett Dismuke. He's now the CEO of programming or content at UMC. Um, we were ha- we were having a house built here in Atlanta, and we were in between. And Brett put up my family in his home while he was living here. It was me, my pregnant wife at the time, and my my four year old son. And he put us up, man, damn near rent free. Um, and that's and this is somebody I've known since 1993. Didn't know, didn't even know he was in the business until we both moved to Atlanta. I had no idea he was making movies or making television. Um, and I was with him uh, when my mom passed away. I was at, I was living with him, and we had this. Uh, we had spoken. We had this slate of work. You know, the next year, he had this slate of work for me. He had three projects for me: one shooting here, one shooting in L.A., and one shooting in Houston. Well, only one of those things happened, and that was that was her only choice. It was a straight offer, uh, and he wanted me to do it. He said, "You're perfect for this because of what you've gone through." You know, uh, he said, "I know it's probably going to be hard, uh, but I I flew to L.A. and I was there for less than 24 hours, and I shot I shot that film. I shot my scenes all on one day, and I was I flew in the night before, shot that next day, and then I flew out." that next night. Wow. Yeah. And so to prepare for that, I used, uh, relied on my own experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and how would I want somebody to tell my mom that? And the conversation that I have with the doctor, the last conversation I had with my mom's doctor, um, who said she only had two to three months left. And, you know, how do you want to spend that time with her? How, do you, how does she want to spend that time? Uh, so these are tough conversations you have to have. And I know that the the director, uh, Ms. Gibson, she she wrote this film. It was her first film. She directed. She wrote and directed it. She wrote it from a personal experience. She's a survivor. Mm. Uh, so it was a very personal story. So I I did not want to treat it with any any less respect than I would treat my own mother's story. Yeah, I mean they 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 say write what you know, right? Right from experience. Right, you know. yeah. 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 So that's amazing. I, that's something I'm going to have to check out. Um, what can you tell me about Mr. Willard from American Soul? <laughs> did you watch it? I No, I did not, but I watched uh, some of your clips. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, man, Mr. Willard's an interesting cat. You know, when you, Mr. Willard is a man or a landlord, kind of a slumlord uh, who has, <clears throat> just to let your listeners know, who has a tenant who is behind on her rent. And he goes to collect the rent one day, and they don't have it. He says, I'll come back later and get it from another time. And then he comes back. The next time the son comes home, and you see Mr. Willard and the mother leaving the bedroom, and Mr. Willard is zipping up his pants. And so he has this conversation with the son. And, you know, when you, when you on paper, you look at something like that, and you say, man, this is a bad guy. He's slum. Oh, my God. But as an actor... You can't judge a character like that, right? Nobody thinks they're a bad person, you know? Um, these politicians, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, they don't think they're bad people. 
right? They're just doing what they do, and then some of the effects of what they do have negative effects on people. Mm-hmm. And so people that it affects negatively call them bad people, but they don't think they're bad people. Peter, you don't think you're a bad person, but I'm sure you've done something to piss somebody off in your life. Oh, we're not talking about me today. <laughs> <laughs> so Mr. Willer can't think that I'm a slumlord and I'm coming in here to get laid to, to take care of the rent. You know, you don't know what happens. And I don't know what happens. It's not written. It's not important what happens. Um, but I, But my depiction of the character is that I want to help these people out. I don't want to kick them out. I want to get my rent. I need to get my How am I going to get my rent from this lady? And this lady has a proposition, and then he has to weigh it. So good or bad, that's how you, yeah, that's how you have to approach character. You can't, when, you, when I tell my students, when you talk about developing your character, you have to talk in positive terms. Mm-hmm. You know, what's their way of being? You know, well, you can't say, oh, well, he's lazy. No, you can say that he works hard and sometimes he's fatigued. You can't say that he's, you know, he's always angry. No, you can say that he has some uh, restrictions sometimes that don't allow him to smile. You know, so you try to think of the glass half full instead of glass half empty. And that's, that's a more positive way because if you just go negative, your character is just going to be mad the entire time. And, 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 and there's no redemptive value to him or her. That makes sense. It does. It does. Um, so I'm obviously jumping around a little bit in in your career here. Uh, before we get to Cobra Kai, now we we know that you teach your professor and you teach theatrics. You've also directed. Uh, what can you tell me about the production of Hands Up? Oh wow! Yeah. Wow. Hands Up. Um, Hands Up is a play that was commissioned by the New Black Fest. Uh, in New York. Uh, Keith Joseph Atkins is the artistic director. And after the, the slaying of Michael Brown in St. Louis, <clears throat> he commissioned seven playwrights to write pieces, personal pieces, in response to that, of their interactions with police. Um, and, you know, the, uh, something that impacted their life, that shifted them in a way. Um, uh, it could be a personal experience or a personal belief. And so he did that, and and they produced this show at the National Black Theater in Harlem. And then they took it to the National Black Theater Festival uh, in 2015, and I was in, t- in attendance. And I saw it. And essentially, it was a great production. It was, it was essentially um, six actors uh, out of seven playwrights, and they presented the plays uh, kind of in this ritualistic form um, where all the actors sat on stage. There was kind of this, uh, this circular kind of uh, tribute shrine uh, that served as uh, a lectern, and they had the script there if they needed it, um, but it was presented as kind of solo monologues that were interactive with the audience. But the language, the context itself, I said, oh, my students would kill this. It would they would they would eat this material up, and this is something that's that's relevant. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's happening right now. It's, there's an urgent sense of urgency to it. So I took it back to Atlanta, and I I self produced a production of it, a one night production of it. But the idea that I had was that I wanted to make it more of a community of people 
telling these stories together so that all the actors were on stage, but they were supporting each other's story. So there would be some call and response, very ritualistic and African tradition, uh, some, some, some music for, for, for transitions, uh, some stylized movement, um, uh, and some synchronous movement. Um, so I play with a timestamp. I mean, there are all these great things with it. But the one thing that I that I did because I work at Spelman College, which is an all women's college, all women's black black college here in Atlanta. Because I was doing it at Spelman, I just had to have more female representation, <clears throat> and there was only one female voice. Mm. So I decided to break it into a trio to give me more more female actors, um, and they would perform it as kind of a choreo poem. And so these three women would now represent a multitude of women whose story may be similar. Bonambi's story is very specific about something that happened to her. The experience of, 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 of being marginalized and um, uh, confronted by police officers, um, thinking you might die in that moment, um, unfortunately, is a tale that is not a solitary experience. Mm-hmm. And so these women did this. And the only thing we had on stage, we had everybody was barefoot, everybody had on Black Lives Matter shirts, and we had uh, nine cubes or eight cubes on, on uh, rehearsal blocks, and we used those. And that's all the scene, scenery that we had. And we've been doing this show now for <clears throat> pop-up shows. So one night here, one night there. We traveled to Memphis. We traveled to South Carolina to the um, American College Theater Festival uh, We've been to Kennesaw State University. We've been to Valdez, Alaska at the Last Frontier Theater Conference. And every place we go, it's a conversation starter. Yes, it's upsetting, but the conversations have to be had. And so it's, it's a, it, it, it sparks a lot of interest. Well, with everything that's happening in the world today, uh, the Alliance Theater has decided to produce in their regular season our production of Hands Up. Um, but we're not going to use students. We're going to use professional actors. It's going to go up in the spring, COVID willing. Uh, so it's going to be, we want it to be live, but it, it may have to be virtual. But this play um, has just not taken a life of its own, but it's, it's fed me, it's fed my social uh, artivism more so than anything I've ever done. And I, and I use I use the term artivism because I have art for my activism. Um, most of the plays that I do, I direct, I'm involved in, are plays from the African-American canon. Uh, and uh, they're, they're plays that um, aren't really heard in the mainstream a lot. So, so Hands Up has been very rewarding, and I'm looking forward to um, engaging this community on a large, much larger scale than we have been in the colleges with the play. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, and you know, we would love to get an update for that uh, production. Awesome. Now we can go ahead and get into uh, Cobra Kai here. Um, you've been working so much in in the last just entire decade, really. But Atlanta's been Atlanta's been good. Atlanta has been very good. I book more here than I audition in LA. Here's the funny thing is I live, I've lived in all the major markets for the most part. I lived in Chicago. I lived in New York and I've lived in LA. 
we always joke that we left New York too soon. And we came to L.A. too late, but we came to Atlanta right on time. Um, I just, in L.A., I, and I did more theater in L.A. than I did in New York. People don't know this. There's a lot of theater in L.A. It's not commercial theater, so it doesn't pay. But I cut my teeth in a, in a Los Angeles theater. I, I did some of the most provocative theater of my career in Los Angeles. And when I was in New York, I was always leaving town to do shows because the regional theaters auditioned in New York. They didn't audition in L.A., so L.A. has it. Per capita, L.A. has more theater than New York and Chicago combined. Mm-hmm capital but coming so i never got a chance to get a run at really getting comfortable in front of the camera to nail an audition because the auditions will come quarterly i would get an audition every three months and every time i walk into a room i would just be nervous as hell but what atlanta has done is because 99 percent of the auditions are self-tapes is i've honed my skill i've honed my craft uh, I've, I have great equipment, and I have uh, the best reader in town, my wife, and uh, <laughs> we audition. We audition each other, um, and and it's been it's been rewarding for us um, to get used to um, auditioning. But we also also teaching it, Peter. Teaching it has made me a better actor. Mm. Now, for a show like Cobra Kai, uh, you know, we've spoken with a lot of people and they talk about the self-tape. Is, is that how you also audition for the role of Daryl? Yeah, yeah, self-tape. Um, wait, I think I self-taped that I went in for a callback. Mm. So initially I went in for one of the guys, I had a callback for one of the guys at at the car dealership. And I was really disappointed when I didn't get it because I had them cracking up in the room. <laughs> but... What I did do was I, I made an impression. I made an impression. They liked my work so much that they found something for me. So they offered me the role of Daryl, which which was was great. You know, and I was living my eighties childhood fantasy. I'm sitting next to Ralph Macchio doing doing a scene and then the month before I was shooting The Haunting of Hill House sitting next to uh to to Elliot, you know. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> From yeah. That's right. Mr. Henry Henry Thomas. Yes. You know, so I'm I'm like living my best '80s childhood fantasy. These two films, the Karate Kid and ET, from my childhood, that just meant so much to me. And uh, yeah, it was it was it was great, man. It was great. Now you need to get on Stranger Things. That's a love letter to you know movies like that. <laughs> yeah. Which I have never seen. I have not. I have not watched yet, man. I've seen the first season, and I need to rewatch that and and get caught up because of some of the ties with uh, Cobra Kai. You know, you got uh, Hirokota, um, who also does uh, stunt uh, coordinating on oh, Stranger yeah? Things. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I believe I believe he's nominated for an Emmy for Stranger Things this this time around. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Nice. So shout out to him. Uh, him and Janelle, you know, do amazing work on Cobra Kai. So, so you read for a role of a character that was supposed to be working for Daniel in the dealership. Yeah. Do you yeah. do you remember the name of the character? I don't. I think I actually think that character got cut. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, the, the only ones I could think of with speaking lines. Um, or like Anush and Louie. 
Yeah, no, it, it got cut. It was it was like four guys, and um, I think they just they just trimmed the fat on that. I see. Okay, well, so interesting. Yeah. So now, did you you came back and then read for Duro, or is that something they said that hey, we have something for you? I think it was just an offer. If I'm if memory serves correctly, it was just an offer. And of course, my my agent Jason Lockhart, best agent in the world. And there's another thing, man. I you come to, come to come to Atlanta and to have the best agent of my career be in this smaller market. And he's from LA too. My agent's from LA too. So we've just um just had a really successful run so far. You know, we're looking we're looking forward to to what the 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 well we were looking forward to con- the conjuring three coming out and seeing what that would that what that might do for the career. But uh with COVID and everything that that kinda got put on hold. Right. Yeah, it's it's really screwed up 2020 for sure <laughs> it really, yeah, really has yeah um now i i know it's been a while but do you recall like any backstory they might have given to your character um one thing i did learn from matt lewis is that um there's a part where you and him are actually kind of improving and going off of one another oh, i can't remember oh my god yeah yeah i know i know it's yeah, been a while and, and matt and matt worked matt works more than me so i don't know how he remembers it <laughs> So I mean, there's just been so many projects, classes, and directing jobs. Uh, now, don't get me wrong, man. Cobra Kai is near and dear to my heart, um, but I, I I can't I can't remember anything like that. I I do remember uh, a lunch break in particular where I got to talk to to John and Josh and Hayden. It was just they just they were so giddy, man. They were like they were like geeks about it. You know what I mean? I was just asking them how this come to fruition. They said, "Man, we just loved we just loved the movie, and we wrote this thing." And you know, Ralph was like, "Yeah." You know, <laughs> um, I, I just I, I when I was when I was in Ca- California, I did a a film called Latter Day Fake, a short film out of uh, Chapman University, uh, and it was it was written by Jolie Hales, who is this amazing amazing woman she, she she's mormon first first mormon i really had a relationship with she's great um and uh oh my god i'm uh, chris wilts uh co-wrote it now chris chris is this black guy from detroit uh from michigan and then jolie is from utah and so the school paired these two unlikely this unlikely duo together and then they hired me to do this thing but i tell you what came from that, Chris wrote something for himself, but he says, I'm not an actor, so I actually want you to do it. And he wrote this series called Semi-Dead. It's a web series. Uh, it's about zombies, of course. Zombies were hot back in the day, right? Right. And I played, I played this guy, Chris, who was oblivious. He had, this, he had this PTSD he was suffering from because he was in a war. And so he didn't see the world he didn't see this apocalyptic world, this post-apocalyptic world with these zombies running around. And he was still going to work every day, even though there was no work. I mean, it was just this thing. But the thing that I took away from that, besides the amazing, funny work, it's a comedy. It's a horror comedy series. You should check it out, semidead.com. Um, the, the, the conversations and relationships I've built with these guys, I mean, from the editor, <laughs> they were all roommates. 
Chris and and the, the editor, they were all roommates. And we just had these amazing conversations because I realized that I'm a geek too. I just carry it with a lot of cool and confidence, but I'm a geek. Like, I love being in a room with people who are film heads who know, like, obscure, like, popular films. Yeah. Like a break, like a break into, or I mean, something really obscure for the love of the game, or uh, you know, uh, the natural, something you know, obscure that most people won't get. And we just had all these great conversations, man. We shot on on the weekends, and that's the memory I take from that is these conversations we had um, about about the industry and on our love for it, our love for film. Yeah, I I enjoy those type of talks too. I mean, I I do am a geek. Well, one of my favorite obscure movies that I feel not very many people have seen is Tough Turf from 1985. Is that Tough Turf? Yeah, with James Spader, uh, Robert Downey Jr., Kim Richards. I know that movie. I don't think okay. I've ever seen it, but I know what you're talking about. Okay, it's it's actually somebody put it on YouTube, so the entire movie is available. Uh, but you know, it's. Cheesy 80s, um, to me, amazing soundtrack, but I, I totally get it. Yeah. Um, do you remember anything from um, the day of shooting, uh, uh, the, the tournament scene? Uh, I understand it was also snowing, and that probably delayed some some shooting as oh, well. Oh, wow. Wow, yeah, man. It was, you know, you know it was fun because it was it was very theatrical for me, you know, being, being a a theater trained artist. I was just ring announcer and I was just so honored that they asked me to 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 carry that and keep the audience's interest in that. So just having a mic and playing around and and getting the character together. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, just there was so much fun. Uh, then we did wild lines after that, you know, where they just had me just you know, just say a whole bunch of different things, you know, we're gonna we're gonna throw them in. And then, and then more, I love ADR. Like, I love doing ADR. I, I'm really good at it. Like, I want to get into a looping circle. <laughs> but uh, I know it's different than ADR, but I just love, I love the atmosphere of that. Uh-huh. I was directing a show in North Carolina where we had to do some ADR for Cobra Kai. So we found a, they found a studio in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and 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 we worked for like an hour and a half, two hours, just getting all these these lines, these wild lines, and matching things up, and recreating that energy that day. Um, that's what I remember that day, man. Uh, uh, yeah, we we it did. I think we had to postpone shooting for a little bit, but we had to come back. It was yeah, it was it was wild that day. Um, it was it was it was a lot of people. You know, they had hired all these background actors to be there for the tournament. And, and then you had all these professional mar- martial artists there, you know, being highlighted in the film uh, in the background. It was just it was a lot of great energy. Yeah. A lot of great energy. And, and you guys got a pretty good view of all of that too, right? Because I, th- I think that was also yeah. like a last minute um, a change to have you guys uh, kind of be judges too. Yeah, I'm so glad they did that, man. I'm so glad that, you know, I always want another day of work, but you know, it's another day to connect with humans. Yeah. You know, humans, humans with a with with a with a like interest. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, as as um, we get ready to wrap up, you kind of teased 
The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It here that's slated to, oh, it's in post-production, slated to release next year. Um, is there anything else that you can uh, promote or um, kind of tease coming up? I, I see that you are in an upcoming episode of Lovecraft Country on HBO. I am. I just did ADR for that last week. So I made the cut. So I'm there. Um, uh, something else came on. No, there was a time last year. I think I was on TV at least once a month in a different show. That, I mean, that was I was really humbled by that. Um, so Lovecraft Country, the Aretha Franklin series uh, that they're doing on Nat Geo, which was supposed to premiere uh, Memorial Day weekend, but with COVID, production got shut down, so we didn't even finish shooting shooting that limited series yet, so we can't air it. Uh, but ironically, that was one of the the exec producers. Uh, on that show was also an exec producer and director on Underground, which I did five episodes on in the, the second season. And on Lovecraft Country, Misha Green is the creator of that, and she's the creator of Underground. Mm. So Underground Underground has been in my life for a little bit too, and it's an amazing time to be shooting that. I had to drive back and forth to Savannah, uh, but that was that was an amazing time too. And that was about the time my mom my mom my mom was sick at that time too, so. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a lot. So having done so much work in film, in theater, teaching as a professor, ADR work, which you also have mentioned, what is it, uh, some advice that you can give to people that are just starting out? Um, what, what can you tell them to kind of just keep pushing through to, to get to where they want to be? Hmm. You know, I... Um... I say this to my students all the time. This is one of the only professions where you can wake up in the morning and decide to, to do it. You know, I can't even get a job at McDonald's like, without being trained. And I think because people don't necessarily think of actors as artists, uh, they take for granted the artistry that's involved in it. So the thing that I would tell people is to study traditionally or, or alone uh, on your own, there's a way to study the craft. And the way that the, the best way I think to study the craft, of course, of course, watching masters do it, listening to masters, but also just watching people around you, just watching human behavior. Because at the, at the end of the day, you're just, you're trying to behave truthfully in an imaginary circumstance. And a lot of times we limit ourselves and our choices because our imaginations are limiting, right? So we, the, the way to expand our imagination is to observe people in all walks of life and, and all the, in all their grandness, you know, no matter what color they are, no matter what gender they are, no matter how they identify, you know. So you look at a show like Pose and, you know, you, you know, you know what that storyline is. So you have actors who may or may not be in, in that community, LGBTQI community. But if they are active observers of human behavior, an actor can depict the people and pay, pay homage to that lifestyle, right? Or that community, rather. Um, same, thing with, same thing with anything, you know. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite performances, brother, is... Uh, Robert Downey Jr. in uh, Tropic Thunder, right? <laughs> he got a lot of flack. He got a lot of flack for playing the black dude, right? 
but he did his research, man. Like that depiction of that character was my family members, you know, but that came, that came from a lot of observation about how a black man may react to something said to him. And it'd be very different than the way Robert Downey Jr. would react just because of the given circumstances. So I say all that to say, observe humanity, appreciate humanity. Uh, as artists, as actors, I feel we are the ones to help heal the world because this is what we do intuitively. We look at people and we don't judge them. We don't, as I said earlier in the conversation, we can't judge, I can't judge my character being a bad guy. I have to appreciate them. And I think when we start looking at the humanity of a person, we appreciate that person and we can pay homage to them by depicting them. Even if they're making bad choices, they're still a human. And that concludes my conversation with Keith Arthur Bolden. I want to thank him again for giving me the opportunity to speak with him and pick his brain a little bit about a lot of the things that, yeah, that he's done. But um, yeah, his presence definitely commands the camera. I, I would love to see him uh, in, in a leading role in, in the near future. Um, I definitely wish him the best of luck in everything and looking forward to that Conjuring project too. I do quite like the first two movies. Um, if you guys want to get a hold of him, I'll provide the, the links to his social media in the show notes. And if you are a newer listener to our podcast and enjoyed this interview, uh, please consider going back and checking out some of the other interviews we had. Um, we have over 45 interviews with cast and crew from the show and from the original four movies. And uh, if you want to carry on the conversation about this interview or anything else in the fandom, uh, we do have a group page on Facebook uh, where we share many of things, artwork, articles. We have uh, discussions on random things. We really dive and analyze a lot of things out there in the fandom. So if that sounds like a group for you, just uh, search our group page. The link is actually in the show notes uh, as well. You want to follow us on other social media platforms. We're on Twitter at Cobra Kai Pod and Instagram at Cobra Kai Podcast. And if you haven't heard yet, we do have a YouTube channel. It is just simply Cobra Kai Companion. Obviously, Companion is spelled with a K. And currently, I am slowly putting our interviews uh, that we have on the audio podcast onto that channel. So just hit that subscribe button, turn on the bell, so that way you get notifications anytime we release something or go live and things of that nature. So I want to thank you guys always for your continued support. And if you have a couple minutes, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Star ratings and reviews definitely help out the visibility of our show. That would just help us climb the search results a little bit when people look for a Cobra Kai podcast. So that's going to do it for me. And I'll see you guys next time. For listening to the Court and Parts Podcast Network. To listen to more Court and Parts shows, visit courtemparts.com.